2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, features editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So, over the past year, the new musical Be More Chill has swiftly become one of my favorite topics. If you listen to to the podcast, well, hopefully you are at least somewhat intrigued by it, too, because I have had its composer, Joe Iconis, on before and I also covered the show in its off-Broadway run last summer with guests Jason Tam, Will Roland, and Stephanie Shu. So I'll keep my summary of it pretty brief. I do want to let those of you who have never heard of Be More Chill give, get an idea of what's, what it's about. The basics are uh, Be More Chill is the story of a high school student, Jeremy Here, who in an effort to become more cool and win the affections of the girl he has a crush on, takes a pill-sized supercomputer called a Squip. That gives him the confidence to, as the title of the show says, be more chill. Uh, Obviously, things do not go perfectly after that, but you'll have to see the show to find out how. Um, Be More Chill started its life in 2015 at a theater in New Jersey where it got middling reviews, seemed like it would begin and end there. But over the next year and a half, uh, it became clear that the show had a passionate following and thanks really to the internet – Um, fan art, videos, and more, it became this kind of viral sensation and buoyed by that support made it to a sold-out major off-Broadway run. And now it's on Broadway, coincidentally, in the theater right next to Billboard's office. So I can confidently say uh, it's crazy fan following has only grown. I have the pleasure of wading through all of them every day when I leave the office. So uh, for anyone who saw the show off-Broadway, you won't notice any glaring differences on Broadway, Uh, but it does feel to me like the performances and the production itself have kind of subtly shifted to fill out a bigger theater and uh, to play to a bigger audience. The best parts of the show, I think, only shine brighter than they did before, uh, including Iconis' incredibly catchy score, this sort of gung-ho, we're-all-in-it-together ensemble feel of the show. Uh, despite the fact that Jeremy is the main character, everybody is really a star at some point. Um, and just the joy of of seeing truly one of the most diverse casts in a Broadway show uh, just being themselves and having fun on stage every night. We talked about this latest step in the Be More Chill journey um, and so much more Uh, be more till cast members, I think, are some of the fun, most fun Billboard on Broadway podcast guests ever uh, on this week's episode with return guest, perhaps it should be said Hall of Fame guest, Stephanie Hsu, uh, George Salazar, who plays Jeremy's best friend, Michael, and sings the uh, big central anthem of the show, Michael in the Bathroom, and Gerard Canonico, who plays Rich, the character who fatefully tells Jeremy, Jeremy about the squip in the first place
3: just michael in the bathroom michael in the bathroom at a party forget how long it's been i'm just michael in the bathroom michael in the bathroom at a party no you can't come in i'm waiting it out till it's time to leave uh, my name is George Salazar, and I play Michael Mell in Be More Chill.
4: Yay! <laughs> uh, I'm Gerard Canonico, and I play Rich Garansky in Be More Chill.
1: Also, yay. Yay! yay. Um, and I'm Stephanie Shu, and I play Christine Canigula in uh, Be More Chill, the Broadway musical.
3: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Ew, you oh. guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It's a podcast, it's
3: like or, an ASMR podcast.
2: Yes, just make as many guttural noises as <laughs> you like to. I have done a Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish podcast, so you have to live up to Ooh. guttural noises that okay. were made on that podcast. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. Yeah. Yes, there was a lot of <sighs> so you can choose your noise. Cool, cool. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, this is um, like maybe a podcast record. I it seems that if there is ever an opportunity to have people in, be more chill or related to be more chill on this podcast, I just snap it up. Um, so well, this we is appreciate that. Yes, I've, I've had a uh, for for podcast listeners who are new. There is a Joe Iconis cast that you can listen to. There is an Off Broadway Be More Chill cast you can listen to, and now there's this one. Um, but I would say that the uh, the first Be More Chill podcast, which Stephanie was a guest on, I think is a. Hall of Fame one for us. And I think that Stephanie is a Hall of Fame guest. Oh, uh, there were a lot of, a lot of people.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> a lot of a lot of people were fans after hearing you on that one. Um, so we're going to have to return to some of that subject matter. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It will remain mysterious for the moment. Okay. Um, but <gasps> so... <laughs> We're just going to say okay for the whole podcast. So uh, exciting news is that we're neighbors now. We're neighbors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What a
4: the, fun commute.
2: <laughs> the Be More Chill Theater, the Lyceum, is conveniently located directly next to the billboard offices. So this means that every day when I leave work, I get to like wade through a oh. giant line of very excited lateens <laughs> Sorry. Go to work. And the, the first time it happened when you guys first opened, I was like, who are these people? Is this like for Planet Hollywood, which is also next door to us?
4: Yeah, those lines sort of get interweaved sometimes on that block. It's <laughs> a little insane on 45th Street these days.
2: <laughs> people who want to just like go, just eat, go eat some Hollywood. overpriced wings are like, yeah. wait, where am I? <laughs> you know, that
4: good quality New York food.
2: Yes, but it's, cre- it's like so exciting to like see everybody taking selfies with the sign. It's like it's a real kind of like enduring hysteria 100
3: mm-hmm. it kind of in some ways reminds me of rent we we, we talked yes, about this up yes. at the jonathan larson project uh podcast but yeah it feels um it feels really cool to be a part of something like that
4: it's a little it's just crazy to see it too like uh i always tell this story it's one thing to see like the numbers on my phone sort of increase and like followers increase than to actually see the people uh With my eyes, it's, like, a totally different experience and still overwhelms me, like, to this day. (laughs) Well,
2: it's, like, it's so interesting to me because there are certainly shows in recent memories who have, like, very big fan bases, like Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen, but, like, it feels like there are real Be More Chill stands. like, it's Mm -hmm. kind of on another level and... It's funny that you mentioned Rent, George, because like then the night that I went to see it on Broadway, like there were so many people who like wear the Creeps shirt mm. in the audience and, uh, you know, like have the merch and um and just really seem like fans on a different level. And it, I, I was trying to think of any show that reminded me of that. And I have to you know, I didn't get to see Rent on Broadway uh, when it opened, but I have to imagine that it's similar to the way the Rent heads were. And it's kind of. Interesting to witness that. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's also a beautiful phenomenon. We actually had a tour of the Schubert Archives last week, and to be able to be inside one of the, what are the st- the exact? No, it's st-
3: the, the uh, <clears throat> oldest continuously operating Broadway, uh, Broadway theater. theater. To
1: to be inside such a historical building and have our like rambunctious viral <laughs> Stan like Stan fans. In that house is, I think, a really beautiful uh, celebration of theater, the new with the old. Um, So I think that aspect of it, too, has really brought the Be More Chill 3.0 experience to a whole nother level. I mean, when you're inside the theater, it's like there's so much history there. And our show also has a different kind of history. And to put those two together is insane.
4: (laughs) The house looks – I mean it still looks old and it's maintained that way. And so like when you see the gray iPhone-looking structure that is our set, the actual difference, like the the shock value you get from that is so positive. Um, I was afraid when I first saw the set design of how it was going to work in that theater, to be honest with you, because it is so modern. But Mm -hmm. it does really pay off that way. I don't think it would work as well in a more modern house, you know, like in in like the Sondheim or something like that.
3: It's also really cool to – when we first moved in to to see the reaction of some of the uh, crew members who are like, you know, kind of residents of the Lyceum, who are used to, you know, like the visit, or, you know what I mean? Um, Straight plays, yeah, a too. lot, of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of plays, and so um, for them to kind of witness this. Um, this really enthusiastic and, and energized response to a, mu- a musical that's being housed in that space. It's like it was really
4: quite enjoyable. Yes. A, <laughs> uh, lot, of, a
2: lot of fluorescent colors yeah. that they're maybe it not still used happens.
4: to <laughs> We still have guys being like, what's a boif backstage? Because they're still trying to catch up with the jokes in the musical. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> there's just They're just running their show, you know?
2: That's so funny. Yeah. Well – I was going to say, the. I mean, the show has gone through various incarnations at this point, And you made last year, you made the transfer with some years in between from off, off, off Broadway in New Jersey to a major off-Broadway theater. Now moving from that theater to Broadway. How have those, I mean, the three of you have been involved in the show forever, basically. <laughs> how have the the feel of those transitions sort of differed?
3: Um... <laughs> They're all very different. Um, you know, when we did the run in New Jersey, uh, you know, it's it's a theater. Two River Theater is a a, a theater that's kind of really subscriber based, um, and so we had a lot of older audience members uh, there, and uh, you know, it sometimes we. You and I talked about this in a quick change booth last week. Like it, it oftentimes <laughs> felt like we were doing the show for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but also s- it was an experience for us to just try out this material that like we had fallen in love with. And this theater was lucky to give us this opportunity. So it, like the pressure wasn't there. I mean the pressure to like hopefully come to New York was there. But once we felt like that sort of was disappearing, then it became really about like, all right, mm-hmm. let's just do this for us now. And see what that is. You know?
3: Yeah, and so like the audience uh, – the to have gone from that to two years of moving on to other projects and then to kind of pick this back up again, like our first performance off-Broadway was bonkers. Like we – so we went to let's, – well, let's sidetrack real quick. We went to New Jersey to see –
1: Oh um, yeah! <laughs> to
3: see the first regional production of Ugh. *Be More Chill*,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and we were—they carted us in. They had us in a dressing room, like we were the Clintons. <laughs> uh, they
1: hired security. We for had us. security
3: guards, <laughs> and they ushered us out like right before the show started. And then we watched uh, these very talented people in New Jersey do our show. And this was
1: before Off Broadway was in. Before Off
3: Broadway. This was before the
4: this conversation was like the peak about sort of of the musical becoming popular,
1: right?
3: Yeah, like yeah. Around
4: the time that it was starting to really rise.
3: Yeah, the, but this was before there was any kind of conversation or meeting with any producers yeah. about bringing it to New York. And like we were, it was. I remember, like we all like. Were you in our car? Or I was did in you the go, other car. Okay, so in my car. <laughs> I was in
1: the Brooklyn car. The Brooklyn car. Yeah.
3: <laughs> the Brooklyn car that was that's fueled by corn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and corn that I grew, George. Yes.
3: That, that you grew and brought in a, a biodegradable de- tote bag. <laughs>
1: in my brownstone apartment.
3: <laughs> um, no, but I remember the car ride back. We were all, you know, there was like so much shouting and screaming and energy and love for the show. And we were in the car and it was just like. Like none of us were speaking. We were all kind of trying to process what had just happened, um, and so then fast forward to that first performance off Broadway. It was really, um, it was really overwhelming. I think all of us cried a little bit because <laughs> this thing that the last time we had picked it up and done it for people was in New Jersey, uh, you know, to like maybe maybe a hundred people. Yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> you, know?
4: you know, it got panned a little bit, and it just sort of like we thought you know, we made the album and that's that. So like we have the album at least little did we know the album would be the thing, like the catalyst to sort of propel the show to where it is now and, and help. I mean, George was also like huge in, in trying to get people to talk. Like, I remember you were telling me, you talked to Joe a lot about like, we should do something with this momentum. And, you know, it finally fired off something and, and Jerry got involved somehow. Yeah. 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 And uh, Jerry, Jerry Gehring really believed in, in the show and, and, the, the promise of what the show could be for, for the kids and like the impact it's having on these kids. Um, like I said, to see it firsthand and to get these messages and meet these kids like that, it's um like really we are we are way more of an impact on their lives than I think we ever expected to be with this show. So that responsibility, along with how much love we felt that first day, it was truly Beatlemania. Like I that's the only way I could describe it. It was like Beatlemania.
1: Back to your question too, I was I would say that so The actors and the creative team, we have labeled uh, Be More Chill 2 River (laughs) 1.0, Off-Friday's 2.0, and Broadway's 3.0. And I would say that the experience, at least for me, um, 1.0 was kind of like, yeah, let's do this musical, (laughs) sure, that was fun. And then 2.0, you know, with the years in between and the whole viral sensation thing, because it was a limited engagement and we were experiencing the fans in person, with us doing the show for the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, you came all the way from Brazil mm. to see our off-Broadway production of Be More Chill? Okay, and I think when it came back to New York, there was a, there was clearly an energy in the room that was like curious about whether or not the show would continue. I mean, I think with the trajectory, it was like, what's going to happen next? Is something going to happen next? And in this run, in 3.0... Um, I feel like for the first time, such we have found such ownership of the show. We know what our show is. We know that it's crazy and weird. And, you know, we've opened. And the creatives have are still orbiting, but it's really ours now. And I feel like a sense of play that I've never felt in any of the iterations. And a like nightly experience of just riding this wave. Uh-huh. Um, it, for the first time, it really feels like it's ours, and that's so special because it's so many years of hard work and questioning and this crazy trajectory that has finally led us to this place of just getting to share this story that we've made um, for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, that it's interesting to think of like on the biggest stage, you somehow feel more free than before when you would think there would be like oh, yeah, more that, pressure than ever before, too. Yeah, yeah. no, there,
3: there doesn't seem to be. You're right. There doesn't seem to be like that kind of pressure anymore, because I think we all I know I can speak for myself. I never stopped believing in the show. So every at every stage it was there was this pressure of like, we got to get this right because this thing has to continue on to the next step. There mm-hmm. has to be a next step. And now we're kind of here, and like, what would be the next step? Like the next step, I think, do... is what
4: we're doing. It's maintaining and playing. Yeah, and totally. That's like the yeah. best thing yeah. we can do. That's, I mean, that's the whole fun of the show, too. It really allows us to do that. Not a lot of shows allow uh, actors to do that, too. It's a lot. Um, a lot of musicals I've done. You're sort of directed to do the exact same thing, and these these songs and these scenes and the way it's written really allows us to have fun and help the show grow that way. And now it also feels like we. It is unbelievable the amount of uh, influence it's had on on the world at this point, Um, but it feels less like intimidating uh, pressure. It feels more just like I know exactly what I'm doing with Rich Garansky every single night and that's so exciting to like keep finding that and Mm -hmm. watch the kids really um, embrace like who otherwise would be known as sort of like a bully sort of bad guy in a musical like – They've found a way to craft this character, and we have, all of us, um, to make it somebody with just way more dimension, and that's the whole point of the musical. It's just like nothing is what it seems, and you you sort of have to, like, discover your inner self to to embrace your outer self. And these fans are amazing. They come dressed as, like, they're unicorns, straight they're, up. Yeah, Stephanie of quoted it cosplay. perfectly. They are <laughs> unicorns of fans. I have not seen anybody like that. Any fans like this for any show.
2: Well, I was going to say, that, I mean, you, I'm curious, you specifically have been in a couple of shows with pretty rabid fan bases oh, yeah. before with Spring Awakening and American Idiot. And I mean, is this just on a total other level, even from yeah. those?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, Spring Awakening is the closest thing to that. To this process that I even feel like um, the, even just the way the show is created over years and, and crafted with this cast, like with the same cast and brought off Broadway and then surprise on Broadway and all these people are rejoicing. But there wasn't cosplay and there wasn't, <laughs> you know, Instagram and, and stuff like that. So Victorian I was, I was cosplay an, would have
1: been interesting. I was
4: an <laughs> avid Venla cosplayer actually. <laughs> 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 Could you imagine? Yes.
3: Oh my God. I'm sure there's a photo of it somewhere. No, I I really did dress up as Venla once. Well,
1: Spring Awakening really um, sent a a radical movement of socks.
4: Yeah, it sure (laughs) did. Those high socks. I still
1: still rock the Spring Awakening socks. Oh my God. It's probably because of Spring Awakening. That's great. (laughs) I love that.
4: Look at that fashion trend. Okay.
3: What did you call
1: it? Rabid um, what? a radical, a radical uh, <laughs> movement? movement. Radical movement of socks. It was a radical movement of socks. <laughs> um,
4: I no. hate uh, your uh. NPR voice. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, I love podcasts. <laughs>
4: yeah, I mean it's it's just easier for for fans to get in touch with you now too. Um, we can actually have relationships and, and friendships mm-hmm. with fans if we want to. Uh, it's literally that easy. Whereas. There was sort of a barrier between between us and the people who saw the show at Spring Awakening. And American Idiot was a little crazier just because Green Day fans were also coming to the show, like, especially when Billy Joe was in it. I mean, there were days where Billy uh, would have us, like, take the car with him after the show, and it's insane people would like throw themselves onto the car as we're driving down 44th Street like risking their lives to try and get a look at this guy. So that was insane. They had mm-hmm. to close down 44th Street a lot. Um but still it's it's like the separation of of viewer and and performer was still there. Now it's just so easy to get to know these people if you want to and and have an actual meaningful Connection with them, which I think is great if you if you can handle that and, and you you want to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think also one of the most brilliant things that Bobby Tilly, our costume designer, did was that he so many of the costume pieces are shopped. So you can literally Google neon green dress with pockets and yellow daisy, and you will find the dress that Christine wears. And so <laughs> yeah. I've I've been like why, how do these kids, oh, Google, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and <laughs> yeah. so it's so accessible in that way. And I think that's actually a part of the experience and the overall celebration of this show is that it is accessible in that way. And so they feel like they can participate in this journey in this story and also truly like embody these characters that they love so much. They mm. have
3: like a sense of they have this sense of ownership with the show because they are actually, in fact, quite responsible for yes. the show. Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> having a life in New York City, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really cool to kind of for us to have our ownership of the show and also to share that ownership with these people who um, use their voices uh, loudly to to demand more, be more chill, <laughs> more be more chill,
2: more be more. Um, well, I think that like one of the top amazing things about the show, about among many, is is that it really has this like egalitarian feel. And despite the fact that like Jeremy is kind of the central character. He's almost he's not a traditional leading man, and it doesn't feel like there is a leading man and a leading lady and it feels like you are all everyone within the cast is is a star in a way and you three specifically each have like a big eleven o'clock number God. of sorts that doesn't happen at eleven o'clock but um and God. <laughs> <laughs> um and i and i and I know that you know since you've all been involved since the beginning, like I was curious did you did you have traditional auditions were you always in mind for the parts that you ultimately got? How did you kind of become these characters in the first place?
1: Yeah, well, I will speak to the egalitarian nature of 3.0, and that was really intentional. Like, we came into the creative room, uh, the rehearsal room, and the creative team was like, something we're really interested in exploring for 3.0 is to you know, share everybody's story in a little way, you know, that everyone has voices in their heads. Everyone is coming of age in some way, shape or form in this version of Be More Chill. So that was really uh, intentional and I think has served the story really well because, you know, no matter who you are or what age group you are in or who you were in high school, everyone can point to one person at least and mm. be like, oh, I was probably a little bit of a Jenna or I was like a Jenna-Jake combo or mm-hmm. a Jenna-Jake-Christine and then like behind closed doors was Jeremy, you know? like It's like mm.
3: what we do with the cast of Friends.
1: Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of the trope, right? Um And I think that is also a testament to Ned Bazzini's book and these um, sort of types that exist that perpetuate themselves. And I think um, honoring that and sort of highlighting that Makes uh, space for people to feel un- included in the story, um, and in terms of the audition, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I was certainly not considered for uh, Jeremy. <laughs> I sort of was always considered. Spoiler, for Christine. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, behind the scenes, um, uh, yeah, I was always considered for Christine, and uh, I, it was just a normal old audition. And at the time, I really wasn't doing, uh, quote, unquote, traditional musical theater. And so um, it was a really special meeting of the world, especially because Stephen Brackett did so much um, stuff with experimental theater and downtown stuff that our worlds really made sense together. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been like a, you know, wild, wild ride in that regard.
4: I also had a traditional audition, but... When I read The Breakdown, it was like one of those times where you're like, oh, my God, I've never seen a role that's like more perfect. Like it was one of those things where if I don't book this job, I'm quitting acting forever because it's like me. It's me on paper.
2: Healthy, healthy. So I yeah, no, it's, it was just my drive Namaste. to get it.
4: And also I knew I was familiar with Joe and I, I had not worked with Joe Iconis yet. And I really, really wanted to. Um, I missed a few opportunities to audition for the black suits back in the day that I was kicking myself for for like years And uh, so when this came up, I was like, I can't miss another opportunity to work with this guy. And um, I remember Stephen Brackett in the audition made me feel so good as soon as I walked in because I hate auditioning. It gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, uh, And with that part, I made sure I like I was off book. I knew exactly everything I wanted to do. And Brackett got up from behind the table, which people don't usually do in audition rooms. They usually sit there and just like tell you to do your thing. Um, He got up, he shook my hand, and he thanked me for my time, for being there, before I even did anything. And uh, I just thought it was so, like, welcoming and warm, and it seemed very genuine, and and it, like, invited me to just do my best work. It's like the most
2: warm, fuzzy audition behavior ever. It was so
4: simple, too. It's like it wasn't Mm -hmm. too much. It was just like, dude, thank you so much for being here. Like, let's do this. You ready? Have any questions? I was like, what? (laughs) Uh... Nah, man, let's rock and roll. Like, I'm ready. And I think I threw a chair at one point in the audition, like, like when I was bullying Jeremy, you know, quote-unquote. And, like, in any other audition, I don't think I would have, like, gusto to do something like that. I would, like, second-guess that thing. But for some reason, I was just like, fuck it, man. I got time. I can just do this. I can just do it. Thank you for making me feel like I could just do anything in the room. Oh, my God, I hope I work with you guys. And lo and behold, yeah, got to do the reading and Two River. It was, like, truly amazing. It was, like, secreting my this job into 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 the world so yeah
3: yeah i i auditioned for a black suits production the one in la and i didn't get it and uh joe was like i'm so sorry man you were so great but it just didn't work out but he was like i have i'm writing this other show that i think you're perfect for so keep your eyes peeled um because we're going to do a reading of it in the spring this was back in 2013 and then in the spring of 2014 uh I got an email and at the time Scott Ellis was the director. So um Jen Tepper and I joke about how um if Scott Ellis had <laughs> remained on board, we might have we might be in the marquee. <laughs> 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 Not the Lyceum. But um but uh so I did that reading and um and then when Stephen Brackett came on board, uh, I had I had left New York. I was done with the. I was done with musical theater. Like I was done with theater. I was like hungry for something different. Why I didn't do we know all have I,
4: those thoughts? Well, because
3: <laughs> because the <laughs> yeah. business is tough. But yeah. like I was in. I was searching for something, and I didn't know what it was. And I just went out to Los Angeles to see if maybe I could find that there. Um, and got a call from Joy Conis that Stephen Brackett, was, who was not familiar with me, wanted, to, wanted me to put an audition on tape um, and send it in. So I did that and booked the show and moved back to New York. And in the process of doing Be More Chill in New Jersey, I realized that the thing that I was like – that I left New York looking for was like right here with this show. Mm. And so in so many ways – you know when I when I talk about be more chill, I uh, I get really over overwhelmed emotionally. Like I've been known to cry a lot uh, when I talk about this show, and it's because like um, this 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 thing that I was that I left the, the city looking for was here in in the, in those pages and in the music and in all of these characters and in the amazing um, actors that that we've got to share this show with. From 1.0 into 2.0 and now 3.0, um, yeah. So it was, um, it was. Uh, you know, I, I never booked a musical f- off off of a self tape before, um, but uh, it was nice. It was nice of Stephen
4: Brackett to say, "Okay, fine." <laughs> <laughs> I'm know, sure he said more than okay, fine, but yeah.
1: I have to say, that's actually I've never really heard that story articulated that way before and I... Because
3: I'm usually crying when ah, I'm saying ah,
1: that. I, <laughs> um, but I really relate to that because I also... I was going to move to LA like a hundred times. I was going to move to LA and then Spongebob happened. And then I was like, okay, I'm on a six month contract. Like I'm going to drive across the country over the summer. And then I'm going to, you know, move to LA and like be an actor there, but also like have a farm. And then, and then I found out that, we were that be more chill was happening off broadway and i was like okay so we're i'm just gonna stay until september and then like if nothing happens i'm just gonna drive across the country and move to la and have a farm and do acting there
0: um <laughs>
1: and then um and then broadway happened and i'm so relieved because i feel like this experience i mean i know that this experience and the trajectory of the show this show no matter how long it runs, is we've changed the infrastructure of theater in some way. Like, this Mm -hmm. will go down in the history of theater, and that is remarkable. And to be able, you know, Stephen Brackett, the show itself is so special, but Stephen Brackett as a collaborator and as a director infuses his rehearsal process with such intention of love and joy that the reason why it feels like ours right now is because he gave us permission to truly play. And for us to, you know, it's a cast of 10. It's all principal actors. For all of us to be able to play and shine in that way and also have such a fan following and to have access to different platforms to speak to the changes we want to see in the world that are Mm -hmm. so related to the heart of our show that is a dream come true for an artist is to not only do something that you love but to be able to like speak to the things and the ways in which you want to participate in the world at large that's like a dream and i cannot even believe that it happened with our show that we first did at 2 River Theater which is an amazing theater but like none of us could have imagined this so yeah i just really relate to what you're speaking of George and when i when i think about it when i really allow myself to sit with it i recognize the ways in which this show has completely changed my life and the trajectory of my own growth as a person, as an artist, as a as a human in this world, it's really, I feel so much gratitude and and like humbleness by the cosmos. No, yeah. <laughs> see, <laughs> I see a,
3: I see a, a notable like change in, in all of us. Yeah. And this sounds, this mm-hmm. might yeah. sound really corny, <laughs> but I I do. I see mm-hmm. a, a huge shift in everyone's um and how we all carry ourselves and what we find to be most important and like it's um it's it's a really crazy thing to consider the the possibility that like our art can uh can impact us as the artists. Yeah, absolutely. You know.
2: I was going to say it. I mean with everything from the way the process is approached to the diversity of the casting to the kind of roles you're playing period it just seems like the kind of show After which you look at your career and what you – the expectations you set for yourself in a different way in terms of what is possible. Yes. That's
4: a huge milestone. I mean this is unlike anything I've ever done. This is the artist's literal dream. I mean this is what we try to do. You try to work on something that you can infuse all of your passion with and not be stifled creatively. Mm -hmm. And then not only that, that translates to the world and the world is appreciating it and embracing it and celebrating it. And then, like Stephanie said, we, we have these platforms now to help influence younger people. But I got news for you, man. These younger people are influencing me. Mm-hmm. They are so much more woke than I was when I was like 12, 14. <laughs> like, forget about it. I, I don't even know. Like, it, I'm learning so much now uh, from these kids and from the kid that I'm playing every night. It's pretty mind blowing. So I'm like, I don't it's going to be pretty hard to top this. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've said that a few times in my career, but it's going to be really hard to top this.
1: I can imagine.
2: Yeah. Well, I mentioned before you, each of you has kind of a huge number and I felt like talking about them a little bit would be a good way to... into sort of what makes Joe's music so great, because I think they all showcase very different sides of him as a composer. Yeah. So, um, we can start Gerard with you, and okay. it's from Japan.
4: Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, Squib song to me is um, the song that I've always been waiting to sing, and I never knew it. Uh, it's it reminds me a lot of like my favorite sort of um, like modern patter pop you know, musical theater songs like, mm-hmm. um, like that in Norbert Leo Butts would, would perform. That's what I thought when mm-hmm. I first got sent the MIDI file. Like it was just Joe's voice and like a keyboard teaching me the Squip song with, the, you know, I had the sheet music, but it was also Joe like freely singing like Joe. And so I heard that, saw the music. I was like, OK, I get it. This is like this weird, like loose. I didn't know it was like funky and sexy because that's not. Uh, The arrangement I had when I first heard the song, all I knew was that it was a story and I got down with that because I love a story song and um, yeah, it just flows and it rocks. And then once we started working on the song, once I got the part, I got to start to sort of play with it. Uh, uh, play with the structure of it a little bit. Play with the riffing and the screaming and the stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that it's from Japan was a total just like I was goofing off in rehearsal one day and Joe liked it and <laughs> I came back to rehearsal the next day and it was in print. So now it's in the music. <laughs> excellent,
2: excellent. Additions. But that's
4: I mean that's a that's how it's created, right? That's like it was such a casual, loose thing, but that's sometimes how the best art is made. It's like just a natural inclination to do something and the song itself it's like it's weird it's perverse it's um sexy and and disturbing and um celebratory at the same time (laughs) I've literally never in my life uh gotten to sing a song like it it's Um, all the things yeah it is it really is (laughs) but the story the central focus of the storytelling is really what drew me to joe because that guy can write a story song like nobody else Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah, I think my favorite um, my favorite part of rehearsals in general is when Joe overnight writes a song <laughs> and comes yeah. in with something extraordinary. <laughs> and I remember, this isn't a song that I sing because I don't play Jeremy here, yeah. uh, but um, <laughs> that was like French was and French-ish. also... French-ish. Anyway, um, I was just trying to do the guttural sounds that you've asked me to do because I like to take the note. Um, but uh, I remember when he, when Joe came in with Loser Geek Whatever, and I was literally like, yo, last night I like didn't even take a shower. You like, yeah. came in with a whole new song? This is crazy. And one of my favorite lyrics in the whole show and 3.0 and this now Broadway version is in Loser Geek what- Whatever. Loser geek, whatever. Um, the lyric, whoa, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, I think that Joe is a, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think he is a poet of the conversational nature of words. Mm-hmm. I think that is so spectacular. You know, I don't know what goes on in other people's subconscious, but it is not ever as articulate as um and Rhymey, rhymey as some musical theater songs and I think he that is such a strength of Joe's is to find find music and melody in the ways in which our minds wander mm-hmm. and I and I love that about his music because it's so real. Um, so that's one of my favorite lyrics of. Well, especially okay, play so.
4: rehearsal. I mean that like letting your mind wander thing. I, <laughs> yeah. What what song is like that? I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's yeah.
1: like just anything. Going it is ADD your brain at the time. on stage. Yeah. 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 Completely. And I also remember when he came in with, um, guy that I'd kind of be into too. Mm-hmm. Guy that I'd kind of be into <laughs> too. too. Um, at Two River, it was also like a similar experience where one day he just, it, we were about to go into tech and he just brought in that song. And I think another testament to Joe Iconis and his artistry and his care is that he, he, it is collaborative to him. He knows and trusts and likes to embrace the people that he's working with and write for them. Um, and I think that is so special. And so loving you know i mean the the biggest gift one of the biggest gifts you can be given is to be a part of someone's baby and for them to give you one of theirs you know for you uh, i don't know if i i meant babies. maybe i just i would give you, you my baby yeah. <laughs> you can,
3: you can give my me your baby, baby? yeah
1: no oh, thanks george i gotta
3: i gotta i gotta get one but
1: <laughs> i think you can just buy one at Dwayne reed <laughs> isn't that how that works <laughs> Why don't you tell us
3: about Michael in the bathroom, George? No, I wanted to. I wanted to to speak on the 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 trusting nature and the collaborative vibe that Joe works with. It's like um, he is not precious Mm -hmm. with his work. So if you. Um, the perfect example is we we did this uh, we did a series of concerts together called Two Player Game and I um, he myself and Jen Tepper curated this laundry list of Iconist songs and uh, when we were we went into the studio to record the album I was like looking at a lyric sheet and was like Joe I have not been singing those words and he was like yeah. And I was like, "Why didn't you say anything?" <laughs> he was like, "Cause this is your version of the song." He was like, "This is the George Salazar version of that of that song, and that's the that's the word." And I'm not saying like I re I you know, paraphrase the entire lyric, but like mm-hmm. there was like instead of a the, I said a. Uh, and um, you know uh, there's there's a freedom that he mm-hmm. um, a lots us, and it 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 has everything to do with that playful ownership thing that we feel now. Um, yeah. All of our collaborators on this show uh, kind of carried that, that same vibe. But, um, you know, with, with, with Michael in the Bathroom, um, we had that 2014 workshop with Scott Ellis. And uh, Joe sat at the piano. They let everyone else go. And we sang through it. And it used to be really low. Um, in my voice, at least. And I felt uncomfortable with how low it felt um, because I felt like it didn't pack a punch in that register of my voice. And so we tried it up a half step, and then we tried it up another half step. And um, this key that Joe had originally written it in is no longer the key, and it is now like a much higher and much more difficult and terrifying key (laughs) to sing every night. But but he's... um, He's allowed me, Stephanie, Gerard, Will, Jason Tam, Jason Sweet, all of us. He's allowed all of us to find a way to make these songs our own, mm-hmm. um, in a way that allows our performances of them to feel more authentic to the audience, which I think allows the uh, the songs and the characters to be way more relatable to the audiences mm-hmm. as well.
4: You know. Um, it's almost like he, it's the trust factor is huge with him. He just trusts the people he works with, which not a lot of people do. It's like trust is actually very hard to find in this industry, especially with creative teams, especially with writers. I mean, most writers are extremely precious about their work, even us and thus and its and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe almost takes risks in a way, like by trusting every single artist, musicians too, because I've played with him quite a bunch uh, as a percussionist and guitar player and. He'll send you what he has, but he just assumes, like, you're a musician, you'll figure it out. You'll do your job, I'll do my job, and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. That is seriously lacking in this industry these days. And so I feel like that trust is why his the Joe Iconis family is so large, because every creative soul that I know and respect wants to work with him. Mm-hmm. And, like, that just starts with trust.
1: Yeah. Baseline. That's pretty rare. Yeah. But I will also say, though, because I think we're we, – We all like to be like, yeah, it's like so whatever. He'll also put his foot down in like a beautiful way. Like I think that is the beautiful balance of being able to send someone off to play. And then also if something is going in a different direction or not exactly what it's supposed to be, he'll still be a part of that editing process. And I think that is – he's still like so very intentional with what he's building.
4: Good edit.
2: (laughs) Well – Going back to play rehearsal for a moment, um, I I mean, I think that when you perform the song within the context of the show is, I mean, it's people laugh because your performance is hilariously delightful. (laughs) But I I also just get the sense that there are a lot of people in the audience who kind of know what you're talking about. And like, we all have had a moment when we really liked play rehearsal. Um, So I was curious, were the three of you drama club people in high school? And like, what were, you know, Christine is very into playing Juliet, among other roles. Um, What were your kind of like, vanguard roles back then Ooh,
4: vanguard i did once on this island as a freshman in high school it oh. was very inappropriate <laughs>
1: yes. sigh wow. sigh oh, heavy wow. sigh
4: no i i had zero uh <laughs> vanguard high school uh but i did um the cool thing about my was, <laughs> you were on broadway in high school yeah girl i know but like <laughs> high school theater regional stuff like or whatever um I got to do something cool for my high school, though, because the actual theater program in my high school was something completely different than it was when I left. My drama teacher slash music teacher lost – actually left her job. She she had kids, and so she used to do the play every year. Then they hired a woman to do it for free, and she was sort of taking over the play and whatever – Um, when I came in, I didn't really like this woman. She didn't really treat me with respect. I think she hated the fact that I was very young and on Broadway already, and (laughs) she had, like, one Broadway credit. I don't... It was, like, a lot of jealousy, and I was like, I'm 14. She was
1: Mrs. Reyes.
4: Literally, she was Mrs. (laughs) Reyes. But I got um, through a a course of a year or two... (laughs) Uh, we had her, uh, she she was eventually let go, and we had my favorite teacher, the drama, the, the drama person, uh, become the head of the play every year. And we started with maybe five kids, creating a little thing called the Serif Players, and now it's like 50 or 60 kids strong wow. um, since I graduated uh, years ago. Um, but it's great. It's, like, amazing. I'm so glad I got to do that for my high school because, yes, I was working on Broadway, but, like— I in high school the theater club those were my people that's where I could be myself I couldn't be I wasn't a jock I was respected but I wasn't like into that you know I wasn't into sports or anything like that Stephanie mm-hmm. I
3: were jo- Stephanie and I were jocks we were
1: my, my freshman year I played basketball and I was yeah. obsessed with Muggsy Bogues because he was five one and I'm four eleven and three four
3: perfect I was an
1: incredible perimeter shooter like. You know, loved the Lakers, grew up in California. And I just never really wanted to do theater. I was always like, I don't want to be a theater nerd. And people kept being like... Just do it. Just do it. And I was like, fine. I kind of like it. You got, <laughs> you got
3: peer pressured into going really to
4: the theater. Did. I love that.
1: This is a crazy story. My friend who is such a huge reason to as to like why I do theater now. I've known him since kindergarten. He scheduled me an audition, a quote unquote audition for Drama 1 Advanced, which was basically like Drama <laughs> 1, but you just audition for it. And I canceled <laughs> on the audition because I was like, I don't want to do that. And he scheduled me <laughs> scheduled <come laughs> (laughs) Come on now. He talked to the teacher and, like, rebooked me for another audition outside of the audition time. And we, like, did it in the quad. And I sang something from Little Mermaid because I knew nothing about musical theater. And and that was, like, the beginning of my experience of theater. And all throughout high school, I just kind of was like, yeah, yeah, plays are cool. And people would be like, you should go to college for this. And I'd be like – how is that even a thing that you can like study <laughs> acting? But so it was just a bunch of beautiful, like guardian angels. And when I, my senior year, I, by then I was like, you know, involved and, um, they, we did noises off, and I played Dottie, and that was really special. And uh, my mom asked me, I had like wrinkle lines that I drew in with you know eyeliner. My mom asked me why I always play the ugly people. <laughs> um, cool, cool, cool. And, um, and mom, I mom. feel like, well, she was, you know, anyway. We wow. were all doing our best. Um, <laughs> I also played Mrs. Mears, which is also truly screwed up, but we don't have to unpack that now. Um, But uh, I was great. Um, (laughs) But I feel like actually I am more Christine Canigula than I've ever been in my life. I think that she has taught me so much about what it means to just truly love the thing that you do. And I was so ashamed for so long to be an actor because I just didn't understand the true impact of art and performing arts. Like, I just couldn't... conceive or perceive that possibility and reality and through this show and she has really taught me that and I feel like the theater that I see around me right now I mean it's just been it's such an exciting Broadway season like there's just so much amazing work being done right now and I feel as passionately about it as Christine does you know. (laughs) There's like
2: a lot of young, attractive people on Broadway right now. I'm just us ah, go throw it out there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's uh, so, exciting.
3: I'm not. I'm neither young nor attractive. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, it's not true. My uh-huh. vanguard role in high school.
4: <laughs> let's hear it. it, was
3: um, it was so Benla. I was Venla in front of my full length mirror. <laughs> um, no, I am um, I uh kind of similarly to Stephanie but also the opposite. I was not a jock. I did not play basketball. I was quite the slob and <laughs> my routine was typically uh go home from school um Totino's Pizza Rolls, you guys know those? I knew those? you were going to talk oh about a snack, yeah. I could tell where your <laughs> yeah. eyes went,
1: you can't see his eyes but they were snack eyes. They
3: cross a little bit,
1: I they you cross and I stopped Chalupa.
3: blinking, um <laughs> Uh, no Totino's pizza rolls like a like a 40 pack bag like the ones that the in the commercials the moms uh, served to a party of like 11, <laughs> 11 teenagers I housed the, the entire bag game. myself yep. uh, I would eat those I would, and I didn't even put them in the oven to make them properly I just threw them in the microwave George, because I had sad. zero standards oh and I would watch Maury Povich oh my God. that was my I typical loved Maury Me too. you are the father <laughs> I that was my typical routine. Part
2: of me is sad, and part of me feels like this is maybe living your best life.
3: Gl- uh, this is a this is this this is the glow up. Is that from from a yes. couch with Totino's pizza rolls to uh, talking about it uh, at the Billboard offices. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so one day. Um, I was a huge Weird Al fan, and I would rewrite um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pop, pop songs, but I would they were not safe for work, not safe for school, not safe for anywhere, really. They were so, so offensive, and so I would sing these songs for my uh, <laughs> classmates, and I did it one day during— um, uh, I was a, an IB program kid, so like uh, we were taking a class called Information Technology in a Global Society. Cool. Which was literally, literally it was just um, Very Y2K. Ha- let's yeah, make yeah, yeah. PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> like that was the that wow. was the curriculum. Yeah. Um, and I sang one of these songs, I think it was a parody of Baby Hit Me Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. And um, the drama club president skipped school a lot and was a year ahead of us but had to take this class with us and overheard me singing came up to me and was like you should audition for the school musical tonight and I was like no I have plans (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) it was just to eat Totino's pizza rolls and watch Maury Povich so Eventually, he dragged me, and I similarly did not know any musical theater. Didn't even know that musicals existed. Truly, yeah. uh-huh. like growing up mixed race in Florida, like we didn't watch musicals. I didn't know the musicals were a thing. Like totally. my parents were grooming, fully grooming me to become a doctor. Which is why I was taking information technology in a global <laughs> society, and so uh, was so
1: preparing I, you for Instagram. It,
3: <laughs> 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 Can we Snap. cut that statement out? <laughs> um, so I um, so I went in, and he was like, um, "This is called an audition." <laughs> like yeah. he was like walking me through these things, like I was a foreign exchange student, <laughs> and um, and I sang the Elton John version of uh, "Circle of Life." From the Lion King, and then they cast me as Seymour Crowlborn in a oh. production of Little Shop of Horrors that I'm still like hugely proud of. It was I had a an African American Audrey. Um, each Ronette was a uh, of a different uh, ethnicity. Um, it was truly a groundbreaking high school production awesome. of Little Shop That's before really cool. anyone in New York was doing any kind of colorblind casting.
2: Well, I want to see you as Seymour now.
3: Oh. I'll I have to glasses. find the I'll have to find the video. I was also I was in glasses and I weighed two hundred and fifty pounds, so you really do want to watch this video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure if, as my mom shakily zoomed in on my face, huh. you could see um, pizza sauce on the corner of my <laughs> mouth from the Totino's pizza rolls. Wow! Uh, but little shop of horrors, Seymour Crawborn, Vanguard.
2: I feel like you're gonna get a lot of um, special stage door gifts after this podcast. <laughs> yeah.
4: And they will be swimming in pizza rolls at the Lyceum. (laughs) Not Um, not a bad
2: gift. Put them in the
1: plastic bin so the rats don't come, George. (laughs) Don't forget.
3: Stephanie Zhu, first day of. Of being in the lights, so I was like, "Can we have plastic bins because the the rats?
1: <laughs> no, it was a huge problem at SpongeBob, oh, that's where the and I was <laughs> <came> really <laughs> traumatized. <But laughs> I haven't shoot. seen,
3: but I haven't seen any mouse anything. Uh-uh. N- knock on, yeah,
1: knock right. on wood. But let me tell you, I saw rats eat through people's refrigerators when we were doing SpongeBob SquarePants in the school. Right. Well, Dang.
2: <laughs> on that happy note, I went um, through <laughs> your refrigerator. <laughs>
1: Uh There's only juice.
2: I could talk to you people all day, but I wanna end the podcast on a very deep note. Um Stephanie has answered this question once, iconically. Um I wanna ask you about your personal squips. Uh they can be things, they can be people. Uh, last time she was here, Stephanie memorably said her squip was a tree. Still true?
1: I have, I was I have people now. I have people now, though. Okay. I was just wondering. We can start with you. Is your squip still a tree? And Absolutely. And expand. In fact, actually, my <laughs> friend and I who um, make medicinal <laughs> healing salves, um, we just hired our Which friends. Which are amazing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So we just hired our friends to build these raised beds in her garden. And um, we planted seeds a few weeks ago, but it's been kind of cold. And I was just, and it's kind of shady. And so I've been really kind of worried if the speed the if the seeds would sprout at all. And just yesterday, the seeds sprouted through the soil. And I was like, Oh, I am so humbled by the lessons of nature and what they teach me about time and the right conditions to grow. So, yes, that is still a tree, and all things that grow through the ground are still my script. However, I also love Jada Pinkett Smith. She has Red Table Talk, and I'm obsessed with it. It's like my favorite. I don't even have Facebook but you can still watch Facebook when you have a computer and um you can google it and do the Facebook live watch Thank you <laughs> thank I'm you gonna... Danish child for
3: for finishing her answer <laughs>
1: But um, I am obsessed with that show, and I think Jada Pinkett Smith for sure is my squip. The way she talks about truth and like standing up for what you believe in and her bringing together three generations of women to have really difficult conversations, all with such joy, and she looks so fly all the time. I'm just like, oh, you're my squip. I get it. I I'm get la- what a squip is. I'm now. laughing in part because I, I know what you mean. <laughs>
2: she and, so awesome. and she also watching will smith's instagram she shades him
1: so magnificently
2: it. it's really <laughs> jada's great
1: yeah she's yeah, great that's an awesome choice thank you wow i did a lot of research for you because i was like oh, i have got to come up with something other than a tree <laughs> but you do i love I,
4: that tree metaphor though that's great and you have a it's very plant
1: centric instagram as well <laughs> well she, she puts not her money where her mouth is got to uh, take I B technology for the future. <laughs> like George.
3: That's problem with public schools, baby.
1: <laughs> I know, true.
3: I mean I did go to a public school.
1: Me too.
4: I did not, unfortunately.
1: We had do you guys remember those projectors with the clear things and you can yeah. draw on them oh, with yeah. markers? Yeah. Should and we
4: also buy one? Shadows? We definitely should buy one for the theater.
1: Yeah, you can. Oh, okay. Well. Just for funsies. Anyway.
2: <laughs> <oops>.
3: Um, <laughs> I've I I have said this from the beginning, but my squip would be Danny DeVito um, as Frank Reynolds in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because mm. so that here's the thing about that show that show those characters are jerks like they're bad people and you shouldn't like people shouldn't enjoy watching shows about bad people like you shouldn't want to root for bad people but. There's there's just something about their um, their energy together as an ensemble. Anyway, I would love to have. There's one episode of uh, it's always sunny called Being Frank Reynolds, and it's um, it's entirely shot in first person view. So <laughs> and so it's shot as Danny DeVito in first person. Oh so it's like it's about four foot ah! five. Ah! And 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 there's like this crazy like there's a crazy moment where he just like goes into his bathroom and he's like pills gotta fight the pills gotta fight the pills (laughs) and he's like going through a medicine cabinet takes (laughs) pills and starts hallucinating anyway the that episode I watched it and I was like okay if I could. It would probably only be funny for a day, but if I could have that little voice in my head being like telling me not how to be cool, not instructing me on what to like the right things to do, but telling me like all of the disastrous uh, things (laughs) that I could do in any given moment, it would be a a, uh, hilarious, but be a true test of my own. Uh, um, uh, wherewithal to like v- uh, block that voice out of my head and just continue to do what I'm doing um, yeah but basically asking for a Danny DeVito podcast <laughs> yes, that, that is that is a 24 hour 7 day a week bonanza
1: <laughs> whatever he, works George yeah. and
2: he gets to sing the troll Troll song which is hilarious yes <laughs>
3: Thank you for knowing that.
2: I, I have to credit His my boyfriend who is always sunny uh obsessive. You know, you'll be tor- very happy to hear this.
3: You know they toured the country performing the Nightman Cometh.
2: I was not aware of that. So but they, now I'm sad. I haven't wrote, seen it.
3: They wrote this musical that is an entire episode of the show and uh and they they would they went around they went around the country promoting it and performing it at like colleges. And there's videos of of it online. Y- It's it is something else.
1: I'm excited.
3: I'm gonna make you watch it. It's It's a a lot. lot I'm gonna
1: duct tape you to a chair. (laughs)
4: Yes. (laughs) Uh, You guys had such funny and good stories. Mine is uh, mine has also been the same. It's Robert Downey Jr. Um, hilariously, after I said that, a friend of mine sent me a huge cardboard cutout of Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) to my dressing room, so now he exists behind my door. Um, I find that his journey through, like, his life and his career has been, uh, troublesome and he's Mm -hmm. made a lot of mistakes and he's also rectified those mistakes and then came out with, like, this Avengers, like, um, franchise, essentially, that he's now, like, an executive producer on as well as an actor on and, like, he sort of, like, rebuilt his image from, like, uh, a, a negative place and did it so successfully that like I will listen to anything that man now has to say because he's been through it he's seen some things and hopefully has changed for the better
2: that was concise and delightful wait uh, who's uh, your squip yeah, oh, my, it's yours. oh my god I'm, I'm unprepared it's
4: okay well, Dan, you
2: can say you know, D- it was, it's see? Danny DeVito <laughs> it's Danny DeVito who is my squip I don't know my most recent squip okay I feel like you'll appreciate this Stephanie okay, I started watching the um, the most recent uh Attenborough nature documentary series oh, on, on, Netflix. on Netflix. I'm very. very, <laughs> yes, very into uh, Blue Planet this past yeah. year. Wow. Now into Our Planet, and um, mm-hmm. I I witnessed like a baby flamingo walking, and it was just everything. So Girl, I'll say my squip is a baby flamingo. We should hang out. Can I?
3: <laughs> can I make a suggestion? I so I have Philips Hue bulbs in my bedroom and in my living room and my fa- there's an app called Hue Camera that you can use your you put your phone on a, on a tripod and you f- you film the your television screen uh-huh. and the best the best way to watch any of those nature docs is with that app because then all of the lights around you change with the scenery that you're watching Whoa. on TV it's like it, i feel like i'm at disney like i'm at epcot and
2: you know? I've I've That's seen fantastic. those bulbs before and I know you what you mean do it. so yeah it's a new application okay mm. sorry pink what? for flamingos except the baby flamingos are not pink yet
1: what wait cuz so they have any like gray, shrimps. right
2: they're gray they're like shrimps. they're gray and they're very um like very ugly and very <laughs> awkward and like like that, just imagine something walking like a flamingo but in like total miniature mm-hmm. and like really fluffy
1: Oh. Which is also such a lesson in growth and blooming, everybody. Exactly, yeah. Thank they persist. You for the listening. baby
2: flamingos persist.
3: <laughs> Thank you for this. <laughs>
1: for this this episode of
2: Billboard yes. Flamingos. I think
3: Stephanie Sure needs a podcast. She sure does.
2: <laughs> she does, yes. Well, maybe that's the next iteration of this. I was gonna say, isn't Be More Chill four like maybe a mover? maybe?
3: Yeah. Yeah, they've yeah, announced it. They have. Yeah. They have. I Greg mean, Berlanti is um we met him. He came to see the show yeah. and he's the sweetest nicest man. Um and uh yeah, they're they're going to develop it into a film. And um we're all going to be in our 50s, so we won't be, broke <laughs> be in
4: we're all going to play Mr. Reyes at yes. in one scene or another. What it'll be. No, yeah. it's it's great. I'm so glad, man. It was announced, like, before we even started performing, right? The yeah, Joe, Joe and I were in San
3: Francisco doing our concerts, and he had just uh, taken a flight uh, from meeting with Greg uh, to San Francisco, and like four minutes after he told me uh, how the meeting went, it leaked uh, on deadline, and people were already talking <laughs> That's
2: about this movie. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I hope it happens, maybe like around the same time, the In the Heights movie that I've been hearing about for like a decade happens. Yeah. Um, then we'll just have lots of musicals at once. And I'm going to close by saying I just saw Gerard's tattoo that says, love wins, and I thought it said, love wines. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that shows where your brain is at. Well, and, and I with, do love wine, And with wine, that, I love close the win.
1: podcast. <laughs> <Changes> <laughs> from a guy.
2: Be More Chill is playing at the Lyceum Theater, and the original Broadway cast recording will be released on Ghostlight Records later this spring. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can find Billboard on Broadway. On iTunes, please subscribe, maybe leave a nice review and some stars. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, among other platforms. On social media, I am on Twitter, at Rebecca Millsoff, On Instagram, at Yadown with RMM. You can always uh, tweet or talk about the podcast with hashtag Billboard on Broadway. And hope to have you back next week. <laughs>